likely any notes for the screen tonight. I do have some of the verses that I will be sharing tonight. You'll want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. I don't even have a title for tonight. I'm just um, sharing some things as we're moving towards the end of the year and through the Christmas season. I um, just have several thoughts that I want to leave with you tonight, and hopefully you'll be able to make some personal application, and hopefully it'll bring some sense of encouragement to you. Uh, for me, uh, obviously, uh, my mind is, is still uh, praying and grieved over the horrific shootings that took place in Newtown, Connecticut. You, you, you can't get around it. It's, it's on the news constantly, and uh, perhaps as it should be to remind us of such a horrific thing that took place. And uh, while I'm sure people are dying all over the world on a daily basis. Um, this instance has jarred our sensibilities and has caused us to, uh, to consider um, what it is we need to do. And I think, I think it is a defining moment. Uh, and again, you may hear all of this again, but this is a defining moment, I think, in our culture where everyone now has a moment that they can point to and say to themselves, something is deteriorating in our culture. Now, you may have your ideas as to how to fix it, and I'm listening to everyone's idea as to how to fix it. And it needs fixed, no doubt. Uh, but before we run to, to what we think needs to happen, I think we just have to, you know, first acknowledge that our culture is deteriorating. And these are symptoms. These are all uh, symptoms of the spiraling that's taking place. And uh, God willing, we may actually get to the solution that needs to happen. Uh, you know, for me, um, you can legislate all the laws, 10,000 more laws, and until you change the heart, uh, people will find a way around those laws. Um, so uh, I'll leave it at that uh, for now. But uh, it was interesting uh, for uh, probably the last month or so, I've been in a couple different meetings um, that I'll share with you. Um, our representative for this congressional district, uh, Congressman Tim Scott, who is now Senator Tim Scott, by the way, uh, or Senator appointee Tim Scott, I guess actually he'll be sworn in the first of the year. Um, actually, before all of this took place, he had asked for some meetings with some pastors um, in his congressional district. And so one of the meetings took place, I don't know, four, five, six weeks ago, and then another meeting took place just a week, week and a half ago, which was a follow-up of the first one. And he just gathered us up as what he defined leaders in the community. Um, I could tell as he was sharing with the room that was full of pastors that he wanted to somehow facilitate or to gather uh, those that he felt like would be important to bringing solutions to our cultural decay. Of course, at that time, there had been no shooting at Sandy Hook, uh, but yet at that time, everyone understood that culturally there was still the spiral that was taking place. And it was interesting just listening. Everyone really had a chance to share and to talk, and there were interesting things that came forth in both meetings. The second meeting was in particular kind of interesting because it was there that they wanted to move from just kind of gathering us up to where, where, where can we step, where can we go, what can we do 
Um, how, how is this thing going to work? Where do you even begin? And, and again, just listening and having an opportunity uh, to share, uh, it was fascinating just to interact with that group. Because I can tell you this, you say, well, what did you come out with? Nothing. And while that in and of itself is somewhat discouraging, and let me just, let me just put this in the equation, everybody is trying to get their arms around something that they can't get their arms around. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in your life. You're trying to get your arms around things, and there ain't no way you're going to get your arms around it. And I watched a group full of uh, uh, pastors, and then there was a politician, all of his staff, uh, people of note, and everybody in the room. Just It was sort of a, a, a small test tube of what I would think is going on all over America in all sorts of different places, that everybody's trying to get their arms around something because they know something has to be done, but it's like they're just they're grabbing shadows. It's, it's, it's like they're just grabbing the breeze, and they can't get a hold of it. And they would keep saying, well, you know, we've got to move to something tangible. We've got to do something tangible. And, and so there'd always be these ideas of, well, we've got to work at education. We've got to work at, uh, you know, we've got to work at values and morals and and all the things that were being spoken out, and, and I don't know how many, again, people were in there. If there were 25 people in the room, I suppose there were 25 different ideas that just got bantered around. But it was interesting that when it was all said and done, I raised my hand and I said, listen, here's the problem, is that we gave you 25 dishes that are, that are like spinning on a, have you ever seen those guys that do the, I don't know if it's a magician or spinning plates on the, on the rods and they'll keep them spinning and they'll get a bunch of them spinning and they do that for entertainment? I said, now we only gave you 25 plates, but you realize there's probably 250 plates or more that are spinning right now. And they're all spinning and we're looking at all of them and they all need to be spinning but we're looking at all of them get to the place. And you know what those plates look like when they're about ready to fall? It's like they're dipping real, you know. And, and so you have to run to it. And you got to keep it spinning. And you run to it. And you got to keep it spinning. And I said, here's our problem. We all know this thing called America with all of its issues like spinning plates is on the brink of crashing. And there's not enough arms to keep all these plates spinning. That's what we've tried to do, we've, whether it's been in our personal lives or whether it's been through governmental activity. We, just, we think if we, if we create something new, some new bureau, and just put them in charge of spinning that plate, that everything will keep spinning. And what we don't realize is the only one that can keep all those issues aright and spinning and doing like they're supposed to do is God Almighty because he's the only one that can be everywhere at the same time. And until we understand that as a culture, we've got to quit addressing the symptoms of our problem and start addressing the root causes, or maybe just the one root cause of our problem. And that's the disease, really, that's called sin and alienation from God. Because otherwise, and, and I'll just tell you this, that the world does not care as the church if, if we simply pick up 
the mantle of trying to band-aid everybody's symptoms. I've listened to this. Well, should the, should the church be feeding the hungry? Certainly. Should, should the church be helping people become more literate with literacy programs in the public school? Well, certainly that would be a good thing. I don't know about you. I could generate a hundred good things we can do. Maybe a thousand good things we can do. But listen to me when I say this, and it's not uncompassionate what I'm about ready to say, is that the world will never mind if all we do is run around with our Band-Aids wanting to put a Band-Aid on whatever symptom or handing you a Tylenol for whatever headache that ails you or handing you a condom to keep you from getting a disease or to hand you a pill so you don't have to raise up a baby or they'll never if we want to get in listen that's the world's idea is is let's just fix a symptom and we never get to the root cause and my only input into the whole equation is this and again you know me I'm not I'm not for anything that 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 would that would uh, you know solicit immorality of course I would not be for that the illustration was just simply we can get wound up in just be, being a Band-Aid solution. Jesus is not a Band-Aid. In fact, here's what Jesus says. The, the Word says this. The Word isn't Band-Aiding your old life. The Bible says that your old life is dying so that he might create a new life. Because, you see, your old life, there's not enough Band-Aids and there's not enough uh, things to hold you together. He says that's why you come to the end of your rope, and when you come to the end of your rope, Jesus says, I will come in and create in you something new. You will become a new creature in Christ. And that's the only answer. And uh, so that's a part, and it's a major part, of what the church is here in the earth to do. And we're to do that on all different scales and, and at all different levels and in all different ways. And I'm just, I'm, I'm sensing uh, the, the exasperation. And it, at one point, that's almost scary, but at another point, it's almost encouraging. Are you following me? Because when you're exasperated, it sounds like you're about ready to give up. And, and if, if, especially our leaders, if they were to communicate exasperation, it would sound to us as if they'd given up. Or they're being negative. But, you know, if we will finally say this is too big for us to do, I'm doing my best to pray for my president and to pray for our leaders and, and to pray for everyone that has influence and can determine direction. And I listen and I want, I want his role as a, a comforter in these situations to be effective because there are people who are hurting right now in Connecticut and they need comfort. And I mentioned this to you Sunday. It doesn't matter. I don't care if some of those children, what their faith basis was or what their parents' faith basis or even if they had one. They are, they are deserving of comfort because I cannot imagine being a parent and losing your child. So, so all of our positions ought to be great compassion for these people who have lost these children. And so I want, I want my president, I want my president to to be a consoler. I want my president to have the words to be able to say things that can comfort us as a people. I want that. I, I, I truly want that. But I want you to know, because my job as a shepherd is to be able to untangle everything. And, and so when the word goes out, when he says, 
is there nothing we can do to stop this? Well, I, I'm not, I don't know. Maybe there's some things we can think about. But ultimately, no, there's nothing we can do to change an evil heart except repent and let God come in and pluck out that evil heart and put in a new heart. That's what he said to Ezekiel. I will take that heart of stone and I will put in you a heart of flesh. And so we've got to get back to biblical answers. And we've got to get back to a biblical perspective. And uh, the Holy Spirit's just been speaking to me, especially on that Friday. I remember, I, I think I posted, for those of you that are Facebook friends, you can see all my thoughts that come out on occasion. Some of them are probably pretty good and others probably didn't need to be posted. But, but that's when I said something's wrong. When statistically our churches are larger than ever. But in our nation, our dysfunction is greater than ever. Something's wrong. That doesn't add up. And so the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And basically, he's used this word on occasion before recalibrate, which means recalibrate means that it doesn't mean you're doing everything wrong. It just means you may, you, you, you may need to just get yourself back to the place where you're right on target. You need to recalibrate. And the Holy Spirit said, he said, I'm going to have to recalibrate my church. Because it's not that we've done everything wrong. But we aren't completely on target. And we're going to have to change under direction of the Lord. We're going to have to change the way apparently we've been doing church. <laughs> because up to this point, it hasn't changed this, this spiraling that has taken place. Now, I understand that the scripture, there's a thread of teaching in the scripture that talks about that in latter days, you know, there will be a departing of the faith and the days will be exceedingly wicked and as it was in the days of Noah. So I understand that in last days, there will be a cultural shift that will take place um, that will be uh, prophesied by the Lord. But even having said that, our job isn't to help fan the flames of deterioration. Our job is to go ye into all the world and teach and preach the gospel. Uh, discipling nations, teaching them, interestingly, teaching them to observe all that he commanded. And so our job, literally, people say you can't bring religion into the public square or you can't bring your faith into the public square. That's, that's not even scriptural. Do you understand we have to bring it in to the public square. And it's the only answer in the public square. Now, let me read some scripture so we have a valid message tonight, all right? You know, if you don't read scripture, it's not a valid sermon. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. I'm going to read just a couple things here. And um, like I said, I may, I may kind of be all over the map. And if I am, it's just because I have some things stirring inside of me that I just want to say out loud because if I can't say them out loud, then I'll drive Trace crazy. And she'll have to listen to me. Matthew eleven twenty, Matthew eleven twenty. Listen to what it says here. Speaking of Jesus, listen to this. It says, then he, meaning Jesus, began to rebuke the cities. Isn't that a really interesting phrase? Rebuke the cities. 
He didn't say that he rebuked a person. It says that he rebuked the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerant for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. What does that say about Capernaum? Do you understand that if God doesn't move in some form or fashion of judgment upon America, he'd probably have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You could literally put America in there for Capernaum. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Turn over to the 23rd chapter here. Just some things because... Everybody wants to be sure we're, we're reading what Jesus said. So Matthew 23, 37, there's another fascinating passage here. Jeremiah, oh, excuse me, Matthew 23, 37. Matthew 23, 37, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus is speaking again. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, just a couple thoughts and we'll be done tonight. And it's this. Jesus has a word to say, not only to us as individuals, which in America we have primarily reduced the gospel down to a word to individuals. Now, does he speak to individuals? Absolutely. Do I believe in personal salvation? Absolutely. Do I believe that you must make Jesus the personal Lord of your life? Absolutely. So when I say this, I'm not dismissing that a personal gospel and a personal Savior are not necessary. But our problem in America is we have reduced Jesus down to simply a personal faith walk. That's why you will hear people say, that's your personal faith. You can worship personally any way you want to. You keep your faith personal. And you hear these phrases because we've reduced it down to something that exists only within my personal being. But as you read the Gospel of Matthew, you find out that Jesus not only has a word to say to us as individuals, but to entire cities. He speaks to cities. In fact, if you'll take in the whole Scripture, the whole Bible, you'll know that God deals and speaks to whole nations. He has a word for nations. And he expects, the Lord expects both individuals and cities and nations to repent and to return to him. Now the scale is different, but you need to understand that just as the cross works for you as an individual, the cross works for our city. The cross works for our nation. There is no limitation to the power or the effect of the cross. The cross was given so that everything that was touched by sin could now be redeemed back to God. That's what Colossians 1, 16 through 20 meant when he said that all things were being redeemed back to him. 
that there was no scope of limitation to the effect of the cross. And so if we believe that this whole world is encompassed by the curse of the fall or the curse of sin, then we must understand that the power of the cross can affect the entire globe. All right? And you've got to get that in your system because sometimes while it's important to see the individual and, and we understand that individuals are incredibly important and even when we preach the gospel, I'll use it, others have used it, that if Jesus only came to die for one, he came for you. And that is true. It is true. But as we say that and make it personal and intimate, and that's important, we can't allow it, we can't allow it to simply live in its limitation strictly there. It has to break out of just you in understanding that his cross was meant to reconcile the whole world. And, and, and Jesus didn't die in order for that not to be a possibility and not for us to participate in that possibility. So listen, even in these passages that I read to you, the hidden promise, it says that his life, this is what he was saying when he was speaking his rebuke, he was saying that his life, when it was revealed in power, can bring even the vilest of cities to repentance. That's what he said to Capernaum. He said, if only you knew Chorazin, if only you knew Jerusalem. He said, if only you would open your eyes, what I could have done. And the interesting thing is, is that he is doing that in some parts of the world. I don't know if you saw the news recently but the Ugandan president uh, is a Christian and he literally was discipled in Colorado by a pastor that I'm going to get the opportunity to meet this pastor in early January I'm really excited about that because I'm, I'm meeting just there's just a real small group of us going to meet with Dr. Ron up in Chicago and he's going to be one of those men he discipled this man who came from Uganda was sent back to Uganda, ran in the elections. He was elected president of Uganda, and his first remarks as the Ugandan president was to repent for the national sins of his country and to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, you see, the, see that's, what, that's happening. That's not theory. That's happening. And, and there are things that are turning around just by the word of a president. Now, in some ways, this is happening at a more grassroots level in China. Now, whether you like China or have a political idea about China, and, and they are mostly and, and ostensibly communist, but you understand the house church has so exploded in China. There's such revival going on in China. There, there, is, there is such evangelization taking place in China that you understand China is now underwriting our economy. Now, I realize the natural eye sees that in all different sorts of ways and makes excuses for it. I'm telling you what God does. When the, work, when the work of the church and the work of evangelization, the work of discipling, when the Great Commission, when these things are happening in a culture, God will prosper that nation. And China is experiencing it. And I don't think it's because communism works. Any, I mean, I don't think anybody in this room would think communism it didn't work in Russia. But you know why it didn't work in Russia? It's because, it never, it's because the gospel never got a foothold in Russia. In fact, when Russia fell, uh, it's interesting, back in, in, I don't know what year it was exactly, 1991, when Russia fell, it was interesting that when the doors opened, when Russia collapsed, the, the old Soviet Union, 
missionaries were allowed in. And we saw the most amazing miracles. We saw the most amazing evangelist, uh, evangelization in Russia. You've heard me tell the stories about how those cultural halls that would seat thousands of people would be packed out hours in advance to listen to Americans coming in. I would get to go to Russia. I would go to cultural halls in different places. They would be packed out. And believe me, I was a nobody. They didn't know me. It wouldn't have mattered who went. They would have packed it out. They were hanging out the windows to hear the gospel. I remember on one occasion, I gave the invitation. You had an interpreter. I told everyone because there was no room. They were sitting up as close to the stage as you could get. The place was that packed out. Gave an invitation. The only thing I could do was to have them stand if they wanted to repent and to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the whole place stood up. And I looked at the interpreter and I said, you must not have translated me correctly. Have, them sit, have everybody sit down again. So I, we made them all sit down again. And I said, now explain to them. Explain to them that they're leaving their old life. Explain to them. And I went through this and they're translating me. Explain to them all of this. Now, now that you understand, if you want Jesus, stand. And they all stood again. Now, I tell you, and let me just give you my analysis of Russia. Russia had a moment in the early 90s that if it would have embraced as a nation the gospel, capitalism would have worked. But they wouldn't do it. In fact, the only people that got capitalism in all of Russia was the mafia. That's the only one that understood it. And what they embraced was the evil of freedom. They embraced the pornography of freedom. They embraced the piracy of freedom. They, they embraced uh, all, all the, the selfish aspects of capitalism. And so Russia right now is actually going back, and, and I, I prophesy this to you, that it will go back into greater chains than it ever was. Because if you try cleaning the house out once, what does the scripture say? And then you invite that back, it'll be seven times worse. I'll prophesy to you, it will be seven times worse in Russia because they did not embrace the gospel when they had their moment. But this is happening all over the world. So what I'm saying to you here is, is something that is not without some experience and, and, and some illustration. And so the strategy is, is that Christ's life must be revealed in order for this to happen in us, in the church, in power. And that is how you turn a city. A city will not be turned until the church is first turned. And what hinders that from happening? Well, I think God is waiting for us to act, not in a program, because if it were programs, I think we'd have, well, what we would do is we'd write a book, we'd market it, we'd make money off it. And You remember what I said? We're the program. You and I are the program. You and I are the ones that exert faith. The program doesn't exert faith. We, we do. God doesn't anoint program with power. He anoints people with power. Programs don't have to get on their knees in humility and pray, but people do. Programs aren't passionate. People are passionate. And some will say, uh, you know, our cities are even worse uh, today in fact, it's interesting that what Jesus said was, he said that if, if Sodom, if Sodom would have had what you had, it would have been better for them. And, and so, as I read that, it's kind of an odd way to look at it, what I'm about ready to say, is that Jesus was saying even Sodom had hope. Sodom could have turned. And America can turn as well. And so, we've just got to begin to believe. We've got to allow our faith to be enlarged. You know, when we think of a city 
just for an example, I don't know about you when you think of someone says the city, I don't know if you think of skylines and streets and businesses and schools and, and all these things certainly mark a city. But when, when, when you say city to Jesus, Jesus sees people. And, and cities are struggling right now. There's a city called Newtown, Connecticut that I'm sure is in the depth of despair because of what happened. We're not talking about city hall. We're talking about people. And what Jesus sees in cities are, are all the things that you and I know take place in every home. Kids that are now in fear. Drugs that are being sold at schools. Uh, a vice that takes place on city streets. Husbands and wives arguing with each other. Teenage girls that are having to go down to the abortion mill. The loneliness of elderly folk. The Lord sees the humanity of our cities. And then he sees the church purchased with his own blood, sitting around trying to figure out how we can get blessed. Isn't that a strange picture? So what stopped those cities he cries out for from seeing renewal? It's when they looked at us, all they saw were the rewards of Christ. You see, everybody looks at the church, and I've heard this taught before, that they will see all the goodness of God, and they will see all the blessings of God, and, and the world will run to you. Well, I, I, the world may indeed run to us, and I think sometimes the world does run to us, but unfortunately what the world does, it runs to us out of their selfishness, and they just want to get in on the blessing for their own selfish purpose because they don't realize for a lot of the church, we're in this for the selfish purpose of receiving a blessing. And they never understand that there are requirements in order to walk with God. Our nation wants the blessing. I hear all of our politicians at the end of every speech always say, God bless America. Don't they say that? God bless America. I want one of them to end their speech by saying, America, be obedient to God. And then God will bless America. Because we can't do what we do and then say, God bless America, because God won't bless America. First century church gave their life to Christ through persecution and through death. And, and again, I'm not, I don't, I'm not wanting you to develop a martyr's complex. But sometimes I think we try to keep alive the very thing Jesus calls us to crucify. We're trying to survive when Jesus says die. And when we die, we live. When we give up, we get in. And we're, but we're training people. We're training, we're scrambling to, to get their blessing when we're saying, if you'll let it go, he will be all you need. And so uh, the church is going to have to come to a place where it's going to have to have a whole new template of doing things. And, and the first, second, third century church had something upon it that was of such proportion that even when they were persecuted and even when they were falsely accused by Nero and other Caesars and even when they were uh, considered cultic and even when they were, uh, you know, despised and done everything too imaginable, some so vile that it would cause you to be squeamish if you heard how the early church was persecuted. But something happened in those early Christians that was of such proportion that by the third century they literally turned the whole Roman Empire. And, and while it eventually, the turning of the empire, just like in America, the same thing's happening to America just like it happened to Rome, the Christian influence turned it 
the Roman Empire into a Christian empire, but then once the church became popular, it became corrupt. And in, in America, we got to understand that, that we became popular, and once it became popular, we became corrupt. And now we're going to have to understand that, that God will purge us, and he will purge us through adversity. And he will purge these idols through, through trial. And, and I realize that's not real popular. I mean, you aren't going to fill a church up by saying, hey, come here, go to church. You'll love it. We're going to talk about all the purging you're going to go through. And, and we're going we're gonna to talk to you about all the persecution that's going to come your way. And you'll love us. Come on. When you can go down the street and everybody will give you the happy word and tell you, hey, God's for you. He loves you. He wants to bless you. If you give one, he'll give you 100 back. But that'll never change our cities, and that'll never change a nation. All right? So God's called us to bear witness to his word, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help us, God. And while these are days of great sorrow, and while my heart still goes out, I, I guess the older I get, the more sentimental I become. When I, when I think of the heartache. I, you know, I probably should have thought more of other heartaches through the years. I don't know why this one has touched me differently than others, but I just, I just am, am touched at a certain level by the heartache uh, people must be going through. But in that heartache, what God can do is, is that he can take a broken heart and he can put it all back together again in the right way if we'll let him and and that's the part that we, we need to pray towards that God that you will break our hearts so that you can put them back together again in a way that'll be whole before you I hate it that innocent innocent blood was shed I hate that of course I hate that innocent blood is shed 1.3 million times a year on children that never get to be born I hate that too but I'm hoping that maybe this time this blood will cry out and that God will move and send revival and that we would be committed that if he sends revival, that we will be committed to training and discipling and equipping those that he sends us in a way that will cause them to be true and known believers. Amen. I don't even know. I was just all over the map tonight, but I'll just I'll leave you with that. Stand, will you please? And I'm going to pray and cut you loose. That wasn't exactly Merry Christmas stuff, but, but Merry Christmas anyway. <laughs> you know, I honestly believe as we come to September 1st and as we, we change our locations, God is stirring the nest. In fact, Sunday night I was shown a verse about how the eagle must stir its nest. It was a great verse. And I think our nest is being stirred in order that we can fly. Father, I pray right now that you would move upon us. Uh, Lord, sometimes your servant shares and it can seem scattered. But Lord, I know you can take a word, you can take a phrase, a sentence, a paragraph. And you can illuminate that in the mind and the heart of someone. And it makes perfect sense to them. I pray you do that, Holy Spirit, this night. Lord, cause us to be of a compassionate spirit. People are so broken. 
They're so hurting. But Lord, in our compassion, help us to be unwavering dispensers of your truth. For it's the truth that will lead us to freedom. It's the truth that will ultimately bless us. It's the truth, Lord, that is the only thing that we have that you can cause a solid foundation to come to. And what we can't get our arms around, Lord, if we will follow your truth, you will put your arms around it all and we can rest in you. Lord, that's what I'm praying for our city, for our nation. And certainly, Lord, I would pray it for every household that is connected to this local church, that, Lord, we would rest in you because you are Lord of all. So bless your people. Lord, it'll be a busy week as we move to the weekend. But, Lord, bless them, I do ask, and that you would cause their days to be profitable, and that, Lord, as we gather even this weekend to celebrate and to do enjoy our kids and all the things that will be going on here, we just pray you would crown it all with your presence, which we need most of all. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you now, and we'll see you on the Lord's Day. You're released.